so just bear with me. See, the difference with me, when I do what I do, I do what I'm doing, but I'm doing it like I'm doing it for TV. Ow, Keep your hands up. Uh, put your hands up. Come on, come on. Keep your hands up. Keep back. Keep back. Keep back. That's right, we are back and we are live. Episode 4 of your favorite football podcast. Hello, good day, what kind, how's it, guten tag to all our avid listeners out there. I'm sure you cannot wait for us to get into this next episode. I'm your host Conway T, coming all the way live from Sydney. And of course I got my co-host with me in the house, Rudds and Wade from Melbourne. What's happening, gents? How's it, bro? How's it, Wade? How's it, Conway? How are we doing, guys? How are we doing? Good to be back. I'm sure everybody is happy out of the three of us. All our teams getting another win, three points in the bag. And this week's episode, let me tell you, full of action. We're going to take a look back at some of the league action over the weekend and talk about some of those interesting moments that occurred. Looking at the table, we've got Brentford moving up into ninth place with their destruction of uh, Wolves at Molyneux. We've got Brighton. Have they gone all Harry Potter on us, or is it rather Graham Potter as they moved into the Champions League places? Elsewhere, Spurs did a full circle and went two losses on the trot, while their illustrious neighbours, Arsenal, are two wins on the bounce, making Arteta the genius Wade has made him out to be. Yes, for ladies and gentlemen, you hear it here first on the What the Football podcast. And lastly, West Ham decided to be noble and do the right thing when they should have maybe gone for some rice and got a winner. Yes, that is a play on words, ladies and gentlemen. And we're coming to you live here with Rudd's Wade. Wade, what do you make of all the craziness of the weekend? Yeah, it was interesting. I mean, uh, obviously a lot of discussion points in and around some of the calls that I'm sure we're going to get stuck into. Um, happy with my boys, you know, two on the trot. Uh, I think when everyone was panicking before, uh, going into the last international break, you know, I, I, I thought to myself, once our guys get back, um, you know, things will turn around from us. And we've um, we picked up two nice wins, you know, 1-0 to the Arsenal, um, the old famous saying. So more than happy with that. You know, I, I felt the same way about us than I did um, when we were at the bottom of the table than I did about Spurs being at the top of the table. I thought it was temporary. Um, I didn't think it was a true <laughs> reflection of the teams. Uh in both regards. So really good. But the top four, once again, looking strong. I mean, Bar City's uh, slip up at Southampton. Um, you know, Chelsea very strong again. Uh, Liverpool, uh, great performance once again from them. So, uh, and Man United getting away with one. Uh, I think we've be, become accustomed to that, you know, uh, nicking three points at West Ham. So, uh, yeah, it was an interesting weekend. Lots of discussion points. So looking forward to getting into it tonight, guys. Well, who knew all Arsenal had to do was revert back to George Graham days in order to get wins. So there you go, 1-0 to the Arsenal. <laughs> and Rudd's smiling as usual, I see, these days. Yeah, look, for me, for, me, for United, it was a good win. I think uh, West Ham were actually a, quite a decent team. I think they showed it last year. They started the season well again. I know they had Antonio out, but uh, um, I, I think United had a good show for themselves. I think... Uh, We'll touch on it later, but <laughs> there were some dubious calls, to say the least. 
um, by, by um, Martin Atkinson. I think uh, um, he had a poor display. But, yeah, some good games. Um, you know, I was talking up Wolves last week, and, uh, you know, Brentford um, tore through them, actually. So, actually, I did enjoy the Wolves game. I thought Wolves were, were really good um, up until Marcel had a moment of madness and rugby tackled um, Tony in the box. Not once, but twice. So, he got away with it the first time, the second time, penalty. And then from there... Um, Wolves imploded. Um, you know, I think uh, it could have easily been 3-0 before halftime. Um, they did come back strong. What I fear for Wolves is there's a lot of good footballers played, but that final product is just not there. You know, um, Adam Traore and, you know, what he does in that final third, if, if I was his coach or manager, I'd be pulling my hair out um, at that um, way touch on Spurs. Um, uh, no, I, I think we also caught it last week. I don't think it was a true reflection of them being top of the, the league with some poor performances and it's coming back to bite them quite, quite strongly. Um, they did have a, uh, a good first half display. Actually really good. More, better than I expected of them. Um, so I did watch that game live straight after the United game. And, um, I thought Chelsea were in trouble, but you know, um, whether it's a tactical genius move by Tuchel or um, just putting one of his best players on uh, with Kante, that just transformed that game wholeheartedly. So, you know, Spurs looked the better team for much of that first half. Uh, Lukaku was pretty much anonymous. Um, Chelsea in possession were really poor. Um, but then in the second half, you know, they, they just stood tall and puff their chest out and you just really see yeah type of credentials come out. So it's a couple of big takeaways for me from that from the weekend. It's interesting you say that, Rods. I mean I have a very clear moment of the week for me. Um and I might just play it guys. Can you just stand by? Uh, yeah, I guess that was clearly my moment of the week there. Men against boys. You know, we're not going to go too much into the Champions League, but I just wanted to pull our uh, resident trivia master and uh, Man United expert, uh, Riyad, on the on the page there. How did that uh, men against boys go for you guys last week? Yeah, good for about 20 minutes. Um, <laughs> the, less said, the less said, the better. <laughs> Ronaldo back on the score, score sheet, looking good. Um, and then um, we get... A, a red card, um, which changes the game, but shouldn't change the game to that extent. So I think um, United with 10 men should still have enough in the tank to get past a young boys team. I think it did show uh, maybe one of the weaknesses of United in, in the management and the, and the tactical game management of, of Ole. I think um, a few questionable substitutions. Um, but um, look... He puts on Jesse Lingard and, and he's getting slammed for it in the week and then he puts Jesse Lingard again on, on the weekend and he scores the winner. So, you know, that's and I want to, I want to stop you right there, Rods, and say, um, two things. It wasn't men against boys. It was actually boys that became men. So boys to men, end of the road, much like we, uh, <laughs> your Champions League dreams. Wade, on substitutions, I mean, Rods has made a valid point there. Key substitutions at different times. Now, one of Tron's, Transport us back to the Premier League. It's the 95th minute. 
you have an opportunity at home to equalize against, you know, a team in the top of half of the table and you're probably going to move into the top four. Your manager brings on your penalty taker who hasn't warmed up and makes him take his first and only kick of the game with the decisive penalty. Now, managers live and die by their decisions. You know, we've had this discussion. It works. He's a genius. Doesn't work. And people question, why would you do that? Where do you stand on that particular decision made by Moyes? And what would you have done in his shoes? It's an interesting one because, um, you know, when you look at Mark Noble's penalty record, I mean, I think he, what, scored his previous five in a row or something like ten. that. So ten, ten in a row. Ten there you go. So uh, one of the best penalty takers in, in the league, if not in Europe, uh, in David Moyes' own words. So I guess you can understand it from that perspective, him bringing, bringing him on to um, – to take that penalty kick and and if i if i'm correct i think they'd missed a few of uh, their penalties before four of the last five or something to uh-huh. that effect so they they don't have a good penalty record uh, as it stands with the players that they had on the field so i guess from that perspective and looking at his numbers uh it made sense to bring him on i so thought how many, there would have been how many of those 10 penalties he scored were in the 95th minute with his only kick of the game True, yeah, which leads me to my next point. I mean, I thought there would have been a lesson learned when you look at what happened with England um, at the Euros and, you know, bringing, bringing guys on just to take penalties. They're not in the groove of the game. They're cold. You know, the pressure's on. Uh, and it would have been, even for someone as experienced as Mark Noble, you pay, you're playing in front of a packed house. You're up against Manchester United. Everyone is watching. Um, and to bring him on just to take that kick, um, I think he can look back at that and he'll probably regret it in a sense, probably. Um, which, so it, it did surprise me because I thought after what happened at the Euros, uh, that would have been a lesson learned. So I understand, you know, mm-hmm. they were younger kids. Um, they probably didn't have the experience that Noble did. It, to be honest, if I was in Moise's position, given the fact that, you know, we had missed four of the last five, and Mark Noble had scored his previous 10, as Rudd's mentioned, I would have probably done the same, to be completely honest. I would have probably backed him. Uh, and if it doesn't go in, it doesn't go in. You, you, you live and you die by your decisions, as you said, you know. So I would have probably made the same decision, to be completely honest, given his experience and, and given his previous record. Yeah. And for every England story or, or Mark Noble story, there's plenty of success stories when when you make yeah. those those subs just to win a penalty shootout. You know, there's plenty of, of, of shootouts where players have been brought on, brought on just to take it, whether it's a World Cup final or a Champions League final that's gone on to penalties that's happened. Um, and it's also the famous one with Louis van Gaal putting on a goalkeeper just for penalties. So, you know, and you look at that decision, you know, Oli got slammed for not making that call and keeping De Gea on. You know, so, you know, if he puts Henderson on and, and Henderson loses that shootout, the same criticism would, would come and be like, well, how can you put on a goalkeeper who, who hasn't warmed up properly? He's not in tune with the, with the rhythm of the game. You know, how can you expect him to save you? So, um, yeah, I, I'm with you. I think I would have made the same call, uh, but it's like Connell said, you know, you, it, it pays off. You're a genius. It doesn't. Yeah. And then you, you know, you're, you're the class clown. Very valid points there, gents. I mean, you know, if I had to, if I had to make that decision as a manager, and it's, you know, it's always easier sitting in the armchair and making the decision. Um, you know, I'm probably going with somebody that's been in the game for a period of time, um, as opposed to 
the alternate because yeah, although Noble has scored ten in a row, I'm not sure he scored ten or any coming on in that last second of the game. And, and to your point, there are there are instances where it has happened, but it is a huge risk and it does bring uh, scrutiny if it if it if it backfires. So interesting nonetheless. And I guess it's not the elephant in the room, but Brighton up to to fourth spot. Are they going to push Champions League paces? Are we pushing um, Brighton to maybe make Europe this season? Not necessarily top four, but but European places, is it a real thing? Yeah, look, Brighton were very unlucky last year with a lot of games um, where they outplayed the opposition and didn't get the points. I think they're, they're finding quite the opposite this time around where, you know, um, they're not playing as well. Um, Leicester were good in that game. Um, there were two contentious VAR decisions. So I, I think the first one where Harvey Barnes is offside, um, and in the eyeline of the goalkeeper, um, I think that one is quite clear. Um, and you can see about the reaction of the goalkeeper, right? So um, the ball goes in the back of the net, and the first reaction is for the goalkeeper to, you know, pretty much scream at Harvey Barnes um, because he, he's in the way. The second goal that indeed he scores off the corner, um, Harvey Barnes again is a culprit. However, didn't seem in the in the in the island of the goalkeeper and the goalkeeper doesn't yell at him anymore. He's yelling at his defenders for not picking that up. So uh, I think Leicester can feel a little a little hard done by. But you know you make your own luck. I think we I said the same thing last week about Brighton. You make your own luck, and um, you know I'm sure Graham Potts and his boys will be saying long may it continue. I think we're going to be talking a lot more about Brighton this year, guys, to be honest. Um, we've already spoken about them a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about which teams to look out for. I know, Rudds, you chose uh, Wolves as the team to look out for this year. I don't know if your opinion's changed um, after the first five or six games. Yeah, you're going to die on that uh, on that sword, yeah. huh? Uh, fair enough. Um, no, I think I think Brighton, as, as you mentioned there, Rudds, last year, very unlucky. Um, I think if it weren't for poor finishing, they would have finished a lot higher. I think they ended up coming 17th, I believe, last year, just missed out on relegation. I thought they were much better than that, um, much, much better than that. And you're right, their luck has turned around this year. Will they make European spots? Mm, it's tough. It's going to be very tough. Those those top seven teams are going to be close, as they always are. Um, as you guys can see, we're making our way back up there as well. So we're going to be neck and neck with Brighton. <laughs> as well. Another one for Arsenal to contend with. <laughs> you know, but yeah, they're another team for us to contend with. Um, now look, I, I enjoy watching Brighton play. Yeah. They probably haven't been as attacking and as exciting as they were last season. They're kind of grinding out those results that way, but. Excellent to see that guy, Danny Welbeck, get on the score sheet. Um, he's a real likable character. Obviously, uh, Man United Good legend. Um, and obviously former gunner as well. So I was happy to see him get on the score sheet. And I'm looking forward to, to watching Brighton this year. I hope they have a good season. I, I, I do think Graham Potter is a, a really good manager. So they're going to be an interesting watch. I think we'll be talking, talking about them a lot more, gents. Well, one thing I'm is, um, he was actually in the running for the Spurs job. Um, and I feel like that would have been such a better fit than Nuno um, because Spurs have got Nuno um, with Daniel Levy saying to the fans, it's in line with us playing attacking football. 
but Nuno never played attacking football. So, uh, and whereas Graham Potts does play on the front foot, so I think that would have been such a better fit for them. So watch the space. If Nuno doesn't last, maybe they'll go back into the in, into the Graham Potter um, um, table to get him into the club. Some interesting points raised there by the pundits. And we could go on all night here, ladies and gentlemen, some of the crazy results. Uh, City being held at home, scoreless. Is the no striker effect coming into into fruition for City? I mean, we could talk all night here, but I wanted to point out, and maybe before we move on to our next segment, I might start it off performance of the week uh, by a player and team. And to me, I have to go with uh, have to go with Brentford. I thought their performance at Wolves was one of total domination from start to end. I thought they completely, you know, for a new team coming in playing away from home. Um, and taking on, you know, what, what, what has become a seasoned veteran in the Premier League in Wolves, albeit under a new manager. I just thought the, the way their game plan went about, they defended astutely. And I, I really like Tony up front. I think, you know, he's my player of the week. Um, just in terms of one, he, his problems he causes defenses, um, and his ability to put the ball in the net. I think Brentford are going to be a, another breath of fresh air, like, you know, maybe Sheffield United were that, that season where they came in. Um, I think Brentford uh, probably play a better brand of football. Um, so for me, Brentford, team, and Tony, player of the week. Wade? Uh, I'm going to go with Aston Villa. Uh, I thought they were superb against Everton. I mean, Everton were flying high, you know, top four, excellent start for Rafa. Uh, they would have gone into that game with a lot of confidence. Um Villa, uh, I believe, lost their previous game uh, from memory as well and drew the one before that. So, you know, everyone would have been thinking, yeah, everyone would have been thinking Everton going into that game, you know, uh, get a couple of points there and they're sitting first or second, probably close, very close to the top. Um, but I think Villa would you a win. We spoke about the uh, transfer window that they had and I think we – we're all in agreement that um, they will probably have the best transfer window out of everyone, you know, them and, and United as well, Chelsea as well. But um, I think they would do that win. So I'm going to go with Aston Villa uh, as my team of the week. And player of the week, I think Rudiger was immense for Chelsea. Um, I think he's really come on in leaps and bounds under Tuchel. Um, he's turned himself into one of the best central defenders in the league. Uh, on form, you'd have to say, I mean, Struggled to really get into the team, from what I recall, under Frank Lampard. So uh, the way he's turned his um, his career around under Tuchel, just solid at the back. I mean, Chelsea have conceded one goal um, all season. They just look very, very tough to break down. Yeah, I know possession-wise uh, they weren't too good um, in the first half against Spurs, but uh, Rudiger was just immense. So I'm going to go with Aston Villa and Antonio Rudiger. Yeah, look, I'll keep mine short. Um, honorable mention to Southampton going away. Um, should have got the win on that one. Um, but my team and performance of the week is Chelsea, um, particularly the second half. Um, they haven't played well um, in a few games, but I've been getting the results. But that second half, they were just dominant. Um, and and like I said, I, I think that's when their title credentials come up to say, look, this is this is what we're about because they tore Spurs apart. Uh, player of the week is a couple of couple of shout shout outs, and they both from the United game. So Jesse Lingard, after um, giving away a goal uh, in the Champions League, to come in against his former club uh, in West Ham and score the winner. 
Um, I think that's um, that was a, a fantastic moment for the player. And David De Gea as well. You know, that is his first save in his 40th attempt or 41st attempt. So um, he, he can't look past those two boys. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, your teams of the week and your players of the week brought to you by What The Football Podcast. Moving on to our next segment. It's the one everybody loves, the one we dive deep into the analysis corner. This week, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be focusing on some of the changes made which has affected the game we love. Some might say for the better, some might say for the worst. But we will take a look at a couple of changes that have been made to both refereeing and VAR. So I think first off, we're going to start looking at the new rule that has come into effect around um, fouls and how they are viewed by refs. So if you didn't know, refs have been told to view tackles through the eye of leniency, meaning this will result in or should result in a better flow to the game and less stoppages. Now, a couple of things here before I hand it over to, to Wade and, and Riyadh is if you look at it on the, on the basis, it looks like a great rule. You know, a lot of people have called for more flow in the game less diving, less stoppages, let's get on with it, let's actually, you know, allow the game to flow and be the game that we love. I guess it, uh, one of the challenges it does face is interpretation is left up to the referee, so you do have a level of inconsistency dependent on the ref, um, and I guess his nature and how he generally refs games. And we've seen the uh, the bigger managers step out um, in terms of, uh, you know, bigger managers in terms of the clubs that they manage. Ole is saying that we've gone from basketball and volleyball to rugby in, 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 in less than 12 months. And, of course, Klopp saying we've taken the game back 10 to 15 years. He also said that if you want to go see tackling, go watch wrestling. So, clearly, it has um, you know, caused a little bit of angst among maybe the bigger managers. Is that, just, is that just the bigger managers concerned about the fact that you know it does allow smaller teams to step up physically and actually um, put a bit of uh, meat into those tackles and maybe level the playing field. You know, it's pretty obvious that the teams at the top may possess more skill, but the teams at the bottom, and a prime example of a team we don't like in, uh, or, sorry, not don't like, but a team maybe you don't like watching in Burnley, have executed to a T. Um, and now that has been allowed to stretch out even further. So what are what are your perceptions on it? Um, and I might start off with Wade. What do you think of the change to this law? And is it a good or bad thing overall for the league? Uh, I love it, personally. <clears throat> Absolutely love it. I think uh, I, I was definitely one of those people that, um, you know, was crying out for the game to flow a bit better. Um, I think the diving and looking for fouls was just out of hand, to be honest with you. Um I mean, you mentioned Burnley there, uh, Connell. You know, they're in last, they're second to last. They haven't won a game. Um, so I don't know how much exactly it's benefiting them. We play them on the weekend. Yeah, it was a little bit rough. Um, you know, you expect that when you go to Turf Moor. Um, and I do understand, you know, the, the angle of, you know, it does perhaps give those smaller teams who maybe don't have the players as skillful as, uh, whose players aren't as skillful as, uh, the bigger teams. But, 
Um, I like it. I think it definitely um, it definitely helps the flow of the game. Um, it speeds up the game a lot more. It's less stop start. Um, but there is still some referees that I don't think are interpreting it as well as others. Um, I've watched some games where you know it still seems like they're calling uh, pretty soft fouls. But for the most part, uh, to be honest, like I, I really like that change. I know. You know, obviously the kid at Liverpool, Elliot, picked up a, a bad injury, and I know Klopp alluded to the new rules. Um, you mentioned that Ole talking about it as well, but injuries are part of the game. You know, injuries are part of the game. It's going to happen uh, regardless of the rules. So, um, of course, we want a bit more consistency. We still want refs to be on the same page with it, but, you know, human error is never going to go out of the game. You know, there's always, it's always going to be up for debates. Um, you can add as many rules as you want. At the end of the day, uh, it's still someone's interpretation versus another person's interpretation of that law. So, but I really like it overall. Um, I think, you know, the, the longer it goes on, the more the refs will get on the same page. And, you know, I, I've, I think that it has made the game better viewing as well. Um, so, Long may it continue, in my opinion. I'm, I'm a big fan of the new rules, to be fair. Yeah, look, I agree with a lot of what you're saying, but where it becomes a lot more difficult for me is is in the box um, because I think some of the calls in there, you know, <laughs> you're creating uh, – they're creating a rod for the own back because the inconsistencies that are currently in play when it comes to the calling of a penalty – um, is unbelievable. So, I mean, I, I won't touch on, on on the United and West Ham game, but there were three clear penalties in there. Um, not just for United, there should have been one for for West Ham as well when um, Juan Bissaka went through. I think it was Suchek, Um and on each one, the, you know, you didn't even look at the monitor, so um, I couldn't believe that. But the Daniel James one in the in the Leeds game, um, I think it was Woolock. Um, he just cleaned him up. Um, there was no attempt at the ball. He wasn't even close to the ball. And that wasn't called and wasn't, wasn't looked upon again. And, and the other one would be the Carl Walker one. So, um, I think fair that, um, the red card was rescinded because it was a genuine attempt for the ball. But boy, you, you, you're coming in on the side of the player. Um, he's not in the vision of Armstrong. Armstrong's only got the goal in front of him. And that contact that Carl Walker makes, Brings him down in front of the goal. Um, how can you not give a penalty for that? So um, that bar is moving so high for a penalty, um, particularly for those games. And then what will happen is if this week, in those same games, if Leeds cop a penalty for something that was softer than that, then you've got a real problem with that inconsistency. So I know, um, I think it was Riley spoke early this year, about some of the changes, and there's some good changes. I really like the offside um, uh, update in terms of the thicker lines, the advantage to the to the attacker, and really if there's a touching uh, of the lines, it's down to what the um, linesman calls. So I like I like that change. Um, but with with the with the penalties, wow, they, they've got to, they've got to make sure um, there is some consistency because you can't say that. It's not sufficient for you to have contact in uh, when we're talking about penalties. Um, so I think um, you know they're inviting that um, that level, level of inconsistency by saying contact is not always going to be a penalty. And Raj, I want to just on that point before we move on to the VAR section of this debate, but just on the point of, of those penalties, I, I look at those three penalties. I look at Dan James, 
There was also one in the Norwich game on, uh, I think it's Rashika is, is the play in question. Very similar incident. And then obviously the Kyle Walker. Now, all th- now we can argue and say, yep, there was contact and uh, it's clear that it should have been a penalty. However, the fact that three penalties across three different games were not called is also a clear indication of consistency. So if I look at those three tackles as well, we then also have this debate about if that was outside of the box versus inside of the box, it's a penalty versus a foul. You know, we sometimes get, if I go back to the Bruno Fernandez, uh, Southampton game where the Southampton player made the tackle, which was a clear body check in the same vein as these three and it wasn't called outside the box. Well, now I'm seeing consistency across both inside and outside. Just, in, in, I'm just talking in relation to those. Specific yeah, so, so I think you're looking at some, some incidents in isolation because I think there have been plenty of soft calls cr- called uh, across. So there may not have been, I don't, there was, I think the only penalties that were awarded this week were for handball and that, and, and that is all. Um, but there have been penalties called that have been for challenges that have may not have been, um, as clear cut as, as, as the ones this week. So, um, you know, we'll see what happens in the week and ahead. Um, but you know, the other but I suppose, I, is, I, su- I suppose this is where we go with the laws versus our interpretation as fans is when you look at the, the rule and the change that's been made. And I, listen, I'm no expert in, in the laws of the game and the people that write it. Those are the guys that sit there. We're the fans. We watch it because we love the game. But there's a clear indication that if, if the belief is a player has incited that, uh, that, uh, tackle. So for example, the way I view it is that they've gone with the Kyle Walker incident. Yes, he's gone across the player, but the player has deliberately also gone into Kyle Walker to initiate the contact. So they've, uh, they could have interpreted that the same way in the James incident, the same way in the Rashika. Not saying I agree with the, yeah. with the, with the way that it's thing, but it, it clearly seems to be that interpretation that we spoke about at the start that's coming back to, yeah. Kind of but that's just it, right? It's all about interpretation because it's actually not the law. It's not the rules. It's the it's a directive from the head of the referees in the Premier League to say, we're the Premier League, we're setting our own standard, this is what we're going to run with for penalty, um, and this is how we're going to decide it. It's not sufficient for there to be contact. We've got to make sure that we deem that contact to be sufficient enough to bring, um, to cause a consequence on the player that prevents him from scoring a goal or having a, an opportunity in the box. So I think that's what the, the bar they're using. Then we're going to go to the Champions League for the Europa or the conference or whichever one Arsenal may, may not be. In. Um, and, and, and then it's going to be a different standard again. So, you know, we get used to watching something that, and then your defenders get used to defending in a certain way to say, okay, well, if it's a 50-50 challenge now, I'm going to go for it where before I'd be, I'd be cautious, I have my hands behind my back, I'd be making sure I'm in front of the ball, making my body big. Now I'm, I'm going to be making the challenges in the Premier League, then how do I just switch that off um, when I go into Europe? Um, so is that not going to cost these English teams on the bigger stage? Yeah, I think uh, as long as there's you know human beings involved, it's always going to come down to that interpretation. You can tinker with the laws, and we've been talking about penalty decisions for so many years now. You know, they were too yeah. soft. Now it's too tough. You know, it's just like 
I, I think it's going to be fine. Uh, it's going to be hard to find that medium. Um, and as long as human beings are involved, there's always, it's always going to be up for debate. And I think that's part of what makes the game so beautiful as well. You know, we can have these discussions and say that shouldn't have been and that should have been. And, um, you know, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how it all pans out. But I'm definitely leaning more towards allow the contact um, as opposed to, you know, give everything as a foul, just for little touches here and there. I'm definitely leaning more towards contact overall, to be, to be I honest, would, yeah. I would definitely side with Wade on that one. I think overall the question is, you know, 20, 30, 40 years from now, do you want to see a game refereed by a computer? Or do you want to see a game uh, refereed by actual human beings who can make mistakes from time to time? But you know what? We don't live in a world where everything needs to be robotic. And I, for yeah. one, don't want to see a game that's called specifically in that. Sorry, Rods. We're going to have to move on to the next point, which you can go into even further, because now we're actually going to dive into the technology side of things and talk about VAR. So for those that don't know, I'm just going to run very quickly over some of the changes made here. So, you know, we've spoken about the first part, which is officials will look to limit fouls called and penalties given for soft offenses clearly targeting players who go down from minimal contact. So, you know, we've, we've spoken about that. In like general, Ronaldo. the change, like Ronaldo does every week. I mean, that guy spends half the time diving and, and, and more than <laughs> anything else. In general, the changes this season are an explicit attempt to mitigate how VAR has arguably neg- negatively impacted the game. I, for one, hated offside calls last year. I know I had countless conversations with, with, with Rudds about it. I am not for things need to be down to the absolute scrutiny of a of a call. That is not in the nature of what football is about. We want to see the correct decision, but we also want to see a flowing game. So how do we find that balance? And I think um, the, the biggest change that they've made, and I for one have seen the debate now around offsides go from every week, which was last season, to nothing. No one's even sitting back and going, oh, yeah, but oh, why? And... There's, it's just, yeah, he's offside, no worries, yep, that's a goal, no worries. So I think the best choice they've made this season, in my eyes, was the thicker lines, which again, Rudds, at the beginning of the season, you weren't, you were, you weren't very sold on that, would be, would be how to put it, but maybe you've come around to that idea. But it's definitely allowed for a cleaner, uh, more flowing game. And they did say that with the change in these rules to those lines, we would have seen 20 to 30 goals more last year. And some of those goals being very critical around wins and draws. So, Rods, are you a, a, a convert of the of the new system? Yeah, look, I I, I am also con- I, I do like it. Um, I do like what I'm seeing. I suppose there a lot of goals. I don't think that, I think Ronaldo one might have been one that may have been marginally offside if it was last year, um, as an example. Um, and you know he, he doesn't just spend his time on the floor. I'll, I'll just throw a couple of things. Since he's since he's come back, he's taken the most shots in the league. He's <laughs> he's had the most shots on target in the league. He's had the most touches in the in the box. So I think the quality is. Coming Wait, through. that didn't take much to to get him to fight, man. <laughs> right? Eh? Yeah, no, look, That's leave, small, leave my boy alone. Right? Just a leave, small leave my boy alone. He's doing well. Um, but look, I, I I do like um the way it's running. But I am also in favor of technology making it a smoother process. I think one of the one of the biggest things outside of just the lines is that they do not show it anymore. Um, because that was causing more of the debate than any, because what they were saying is when they were drawing the lines, you know, what you were seeing is something that they were still working on. It may not be the correct angle. And then, you know, you had fans on social media, you had some of the pundits then looking at some of the still stills and saying, 
Now, how can that be off? They're, they're one looking at the technology and one assessing it for the face value of it. So I think it was, it's good that they've blocked that view and let the referees and the, and the guys in the back room do their job so there's no debate on it. They do their job. They just say if it is offside or not, and I'm, I'm happy with that. Yeah, I, um, I, I agree as well. I couldn't stand it last year when all the lines were coming out and then you've, you've got lines going across and lines going up and you're talking about, you know, players' arms being offside, etc. Like, for example, that Ronaldo, uh, goal was, is, is a good example of that. That would have been offside last year. And I mean, how is that the attacker having an advantage when he's, his arm is offside, you know? I saw goals being disallowed last season where, I think it was a Bamford goal where he was pointing to where he wanted the ball. Yeah, remember that one? And, uh, and, and you give it offside. It's like the, the guy's whole body was behind the defender. He was just pointing to where he wanted the ball. And, you know, those sorts of calls were, you know, were going against the attackers. So I'm all for giving the attacker the advantage. You know, I think it makes for a better spectacle. Um, it makes the game more enjoyable. And at the end of the day, you want to see goals. You don't want to see 30 goals being disallowed uh, over dubious decisions and lines being drawn and, you know, people's uh, interpretation of it. But, yeah, I'm, I'm really happy. I like, uh, I like the way it is now. Um, and, yeah, it, it's going to make it a lot more free-flowing. You know, we, like you just mentioned there uh, before, Connor, we're talking about it less. You know, every weekend last season it was like, oh, did you see that? What about that? And the lines are coming out. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of it. And uh, I think the, the more the attacker has the advantage, the better spectacle it's going to be for everyone. Yeah, agreed. And I, I must say, there is a place for technology in football. But football yeah. is not rugby. It is not tennis. It is not cricket. It does not stop after an incident occurs. It is a game that continues and flows. So there needs to be a balance found between the introduction of of uh, technology and obviously just human nature. And I think one of the best things um, in terms of technology that have been brought in is goal line technology. It Brilliant. is a clear thing. It is a stop. There's no stopping. There's no start. It's yeah. either a goal or it's not a goal. And I think the better we can make VAR to make instantaneous decisions like that the better uh, technology can have on our game as a whole. But last season was definitely, a, a, you know, just to your point, potentially, maybe the starting point of VAR, where it ends up in five years or so, maybe a completely different version. But I think the Premier League taking this step and, and some of the other leagues is is the step in the right direction. Yeah, I think I may have mentioned it to you last year. I think it had to start somewhere and we weren't going to be happy with it. But as long as they look at it, assess it and see how they can make it better. And for me, the, the main thing about making it better is that it's quicker. It's not um, something that they're going to spend five minutes for. There were times yeah. last year where, you know, with those lines being drawn, it would take that long um, for them to get to a call um, that's so marginal. It just ended that flow. We talk about tackles ending the flow. What about these VAR calls? Um, you know, so I think that's that's one. The other one that I, I like with the updates is the clarification of of handballs. So, um, so a handball in the build up of of a goal, um, where it's accidental and doesn't lead directly to the goal, is now given. Right. Yeah, so that was yeah, um, I think there was honestly. there was a Firmino one. Um, a Firmino one. Yeah. Um, there's there there's a few, a few right? Lots and yeah, um, yeah. you know, Tony scored. No, Tony. Tony um, assisted after the ball had come off. It hit hand. his arm. 
Yeah. So that would have been disallowed last year, last and, that is, yeah. and that was a goal um, this week. So I think that's that's showing, like like Wade was saying, you know, we want to see more goals, and you know, but for hitting his hand, everything leading to that was was fantastic play. So let's uh, let's see those goals um, hit the old onion bag. So I guess there you have it, folks. Everybody is is in agreement. The uh, the tackling or the changes to the laws around there are are, are positive for everybody. Um, VAR has a place in the game. We just got to figure out the nuances around it. So that leads us in to our most exciting segment, and of course, the return of the trivia king. It's all about you, Mr. Rudds, Mr. Trivia King. Can Wade and Connell turn it around and get an answer before the night ends? Can our yes, viewers, please. can our viewers actually get, uh, can our listeners, sorry, actually get, uh, any answers before we've had, we've had Greg Champion, Brent Taylor, and, and, uh, of course, our avid listener, Grand Freeze, all fail at all attempts to try and get this answer. So, Rudds, what have you got in store for us today? Uh, look, I think uh, it's an easier one in both fronts. Um, I'm That's actually what you say every week. You tell no, us that every week. He tells us a dream both. every week, doesn't he, Connell? <laughs> <laughs> no, look, I'm expecting big things from you boys. I know uh, just an update on the score. It's two apiece, uh, quite evenly balanced. I think uh, um, both have um, the teammate one one each and both have, you know, uh, the player facts one each. So um, uh, th- this week someone might go ahead. Um, but Look, I'm pretty confident that you guys will get it quite early in the piece. So um, let's see how we go. You guys ready? Fastest trigger, I'm ready. Let's go. All right. Uh, My father is the biggest influence in my football career. Um, He was a former player uh, who turned manager uh, with one of his career highlights being um, a national team B-side call-up as a player. Um, when I was uh, a youngin, my dad would make me and my brother do uh, taps or keepy-uppies for four hours uh, non-stop. Um, you know, that was that was the sort of upbringing I had um, um, from my father. Um, my road to become a professional footballer started in 2009 when I joined the Hamburg Academy. I worked my way through the ranks and made my Bundesliga debut at the age of 17. A few months later, I signed my first professional contract uh, on my 18th birthday. Um, I scored my first goal against FC Köln, uh, becoming the youngest ever Hamburg player to score in the Bundesliga. Um, I, I made my debut for my country in 2011 in a friendly against Poland. At that point, my father asked the national team coach not to call me up in the immediate future uh, so that I can further mature as a player. Um, and post that in 2012, I turned down a call up to the London Olympic Games so that I can concentrate on my club career at Hamburg. In 2013, I signed for Bayern. I'm going to take, take a wild guess and just Premier League probably, player, yes? probably completely wrong. But I don't know why I'm thinking Divock Origi, no. No. Um, 2013, I signed for Bayer Leverkusen as a replacement for Andre Schürrle, who had left for Chelsea. Leon Bailey? No. Uh, 
The transfer fee was 10 million euros, the biggest fee that Hamburg had ever received at that time. I scored my first hat-trick uh, in that year in a 5-3 win against my former club, Hamburg. After scoring 21 goals in 62 games, I moved to the Premier League. Um, the move meant I went into the history books as the most expensive player of all time for, for the specific category. Wait, wait, wait. Um, so he was the most expensive player of all time. What for so a specific it, category? So I, I don't want to oh. say the category because I give okay. it away. So, um, but um, keep that in mind. Um, I've scored uh, 72 goals in 200 games for my current club. One of those goals won me a FIFA Puskas Award. Mohamed um, Salah. Puskas Award, no. That Puskas Award was scored in 2019 against Burnley, where I picked up the ball from the edge of my own box, ran through the whole team and scored another end. Son? Um, it is Jung Min Son. He is oh my goodness. Um, the most expensive Asian player in the, uh, in the world game. Uh, so, um, he started his career in Hamburg. His father was the biggest biggest influence. The German references threw me off. I was thinking oh, of a German the whole off. time. Well, I thought uh, I thought the German reference. I think uh, I thought the Jungmin son coming from Bayer Leverkusen was was. I was don't even remember. Knowledge. I didn't even know that. So yeah. I was worried that as nope. soon as I said Bayer Leverkusen, you'd be like, "Oh, it's got to be son." I didn't even no, remember I didn't that, even, honestly. I did no idea. My head was going to Bobby Firmino, but I know he didn't play for Leverkusen. Weird. Yeah. Look. Um, that, that that was fact number twenty two. Um, you know some of the other ones is I've I've twice been named uh, player of the year uh, for my club. Um, I've completed. Um, I won a gold medal uh, with my national team, um, which meant I didn't need to complete military service. I thought the military yeah, service would have would have been different. Yeah. So once the military that. service came out, you guys would have got it. So um, yeah, look. Connell takes the lead. So, Wade, big nice. things are expected of you coming up now. <laughs> Pressure's on. Need to just a reminder for the listeners, um, the guest, the teammate. I'll, I'll run through a number of teammates um, for you to guess and work through who the player might be. So, on that note, let's, let's get to it. Gareth Bale. David Beckham. Danny Welbeck. Morgan Schneiderlin, Gary Neville, Olivia Giroud, Peter Cech, Frank Lampard, William Gallas, Emmanuel Adebayo, no, Samir Nasri, Rio Ferdinand, Wayne Rooney, Robin Van Persie, Colo Torre, Morgan Schneiderlin. No, I mentioned him earlier, so I called him Schreinsteiger. out. Schreinsteiger. No, uh, Jamie Carragher, Michael Owen, Oxlade Chamberlain. Has to be obviously English. Danny Ings, Alexis Sanchez, Kurt Zuma. Played with Gareth Bale. Where the fuck did he play with Gareth Bale? 
Thierry Henry, <laughs> Adamola Lookman. Drift Can't be Ball. Harry Kane. No. No. Uh, Lacazette. Fabregas. Shay Adams. Shea Adams, Southampton. Theo Walcott. Theo Walcott. There you yeah, go. Baby. Theo Walcott. <laughs> wow. So wait. That's two for Connell. <laughs> Jeez, <laughs> He played with Garrett Bale at, at Southampton um, in his first wow. season at Southampton before moving to, to the Gunners. Um, yeah. I think I may have thrown you off with a few of the England internationals um, and um, strategically placed internationals, may I add, <laughs> with uh, David Beckham, Frank Lampard and the like. Um, but I'm, uh. I'm confident. You know, from there, we're going into... Um, um, a lot of the, the Arsenal players and, and um, I'm pretty confident I, the, last, the, the last name he was far from my mind to be honest the, the last name you said gave it away who was that last Jaka. name you said Granit Xhaka no before that uh, Iwobi before that Shay Adams Shay Adams because then I'm thinking this is Southampton specifically yeah. England player and then I went it's fucking Theo okay. Walker yeah, yeah, good, good yeah. pick up. Currently on loan. Yeah. I don't think he's played a, a game yet this season, but he's, he is still on loan at Southampton from Everton. So he's currently, he's still an Everton player. Yeah. Uh, there you go. There you good go. Good one, Connell. Well done. So, Connell takes the lead. Why? You got a big week next week. Oh, my gosh. I need to step it up. And I've been doing you favors. I've been throwing in the Arsenal players. Um, yeah, I'm please. trying to get yeah. you. You know, get that, that, that Melbourne, Melbourne love across the line, but, uh, <laughs> Connell's beat you too. Uh, no. Good stuff. No, good one, man. That was a good one. Yeah, I think that's, uh, that's where we end it. And we go on to our final segment, which is, of course, our wrap up segment and just going around the grounds to see what the pundits think is there. The big focus for the week, I imagine the League Cup is not is not one of the focuses uh, for any of the people in this room. I know I won't be waiting with bated breath to see the Norwich game, although I will be interested to see the lineup Klopp puts out there. I expect a wholesale changes to that team. Um, but of course, we move on to, to Saturday, and I'm actually looking forward to a couple of fixtures this Saturday. Um, some big games, actually. Headline act, of course, being uh, Chelsea and Man City. You know, is this going to be another one for Man City to drop more points in? You know, away from home at Chelsea, is that no striker effect going to come back to haunt them? So I'll be looking forward to seeing that that 9:30 game, and of course, um, it's the uh, battle of uh, battle of the old Arsenal and Spurs. Who is going to turn it around? Um, two 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 big games by right, probably the the Chelsea City game, a bigger game, but of course, just in terms of derby and and local rivalry, the uh, Arsenal-Spurs game is one of the biggest derbies there. So a lot on the line there, and that's probably the, the two main games I'm looking forward to. And, of course, Liverpool away to Brentford. Yeah, um, I, I think, uh, yeah, you hit the nail on the head. Chelsea and City is going to be very interesting. Um, another big test for Chelsea. I mean, if they get through this one with, with flying colours, we're really going to have to start, um, you know, giving them a lot of props or giving them 
a lot of respect in, in regards to winning the league or going all the way this year. They're going neck and neck with Liverpool. I was looking at their results. I don't know if it was, I think it was before this weekend and them and Liverpool, did you see the results? How they, they were exactly it's the it's same. It's actually it's so insane. It's Even every, after this weekend again. Every wow. result. I mean, exactly the same. That's not, and, not one, that is, and neither one of them have conceded, to go even further, neither one of the two teams have conceded a goal from open play, except for the two goals they conceded against each other. Crazy. Each other, yeah, that one-all draw. So, yeah, that, that, that was crazy. So, um, big game there, but obviously the one I'm looking forward to the most is Monday morning for us, or Sunday, uh, over in the UK, the North London derby. Always goals, um, always exciting, always something to talk about. Uh, never disappoints and, you know, two teams that I feel on separate parts. Uh, I feel like we're on the way up and Spurs are on the way down. So, um, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Uh, never really a word has been uttered by an ah, Arsenal. I, I can't, I can't, you know. So I've been really impressed with the, with the way the new guys have slotted in. Aaron Ram, uh, Aaron Ramsdale, sorry, was excellent against Burnley. Um, I'm actually gutted now thinking that I didn't choose him as my player of the week because he was phenomenal. Um, so I'm looking forward to that one. You know, if we can, if we can beat them by more than two goals, we potentially go into the next, um, the next international break ahead of them, which will be a crazy turnaround considering where we were before the last one. So that's definitely the one I'm looking out for the most this weekend. Yeah, it's all about Harry Kane for me this weekend. Um, so it's a tale of two stories for Harry Kane. So, um, one, you know, is he a player who is, you know, I think they call it a hangover from his failed move to, to Man City. Um, he hasn't looked sharp, um, in, in his couple of games since, since making his return to Spurs. Um, he was, so far away from that centre forward position again um, in the in the game against Chelsea, I think he was almost playing as a wing at one point, and Son was through the middle. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about what he looks like. Um, so you know, I think a informed Kane um, lifts the Spurs team. So it's it's a real big question for them in terms of what how do they bounce back. Um, it's probably the perfect game for them to bounce back. Um, but the other side of that coin with, with Harry Kane is what would Harry Kane be doing with Man City at the moment? You know, so, um, we, we called it earlier, you know, is it, is it about Man City and their striker, um, situation? Um, they were desperate for one in that game, I think. Um, I, I think in terms of their overall threat and expected goals and the position they take up, they still look very good. I think they still move the ball, ball really well. Um, there were a lot of half chances. I know uh, if you look at the stats, you may look at shots on target that look poor, but you know some of the, you know, you look at expected threat in terms of getting into the box in dangerous positions, getting the ball across. There were so many that just needed someone at the end of that cross, someone who who can read that game and get what a striker would do. You know, yeah. your movement as a striker when your winger got the ball, you know what 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 space you need to occupy, how you got to make that run, where you need to be. And I think they just missed that on the weekend. Um, so it's a massive game for them. They can't afford to lose too many points. I know um, they had a bad start last year and they went on a massive run and they can do a massive run again. I just think the, the competition is a lot tougher than it, than it was um, last season. So I think that's – I mean, those two games are the biggest ones um, this weekend coming up for sure. I might do something we don't do on the show and ask the pundits really quickly. 
Give me your predictions for those two games, Wade. Arsenal, Spurs, what will the score be? Uh, there'll be goals for sure. Um, I'm going to go 3-1 Arsenal. 3-1 Arsenal. Rod? Yep. One, one really piece quickly. One, one piece. piece. I think I'll go for a one-all one all draw as well. Uh, Wade, what about the Chelsea City game? Uh, Chelsea City, I'm going to go Chelsea. I'm going to go 2-1 Chelsea in that one. Rods? I can't see it. Um, uh, famous words. I've said it, I said it on the weekend and, um, I said, can't see Brentford beating Wolves and Brentford beat Wolves. Um, but I can't see, um, Man City dropping points again. I think it'll be third time in a row that is that Chelsea undertook or beaten Man City. So we talk about in the league. I think it was in the cup and in the finals. So actually, so make it fourth time in a row. Um, they, they're desperate. Um, I think, um, they, not, not as in desperate, um, where they'll be showing desperation. I think, um, they, they, they have been playing well. They'll be desperate to make sure they bounce back, um, and, 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 and get back into the title fight. And this will, this will pretty much announce them back in the title fight. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm saying a, a 3-1 win for Man City. You're on mute. Interesting, interesting prediction there from Rods. And, and listen, let's not uh, let's not mince it. Man City are the current champions and should should be respected. And it will be a test for Chelsea. But I do feel Tuchel seems to have the measure um, of Pep. Uh, short term, yes, um, but psychologically, he's in Pep's brain, and we all know Pep overthinks everything. He's overthinked a lot of things, including Champions League games against Liverpool, which have cost them. So I think he'll do that again. And I actually think Chelsea are in a very strong position. Um, and at home, I, I don't see them dropping points. Uh, to me, this is either a draw or a Chelsea win. But if I'm going to put my, my neck on the line, I'm going to go with a, a exciting and entertaining 2-2 draw. Um, so there you have it. There, there's your predictions, ladies and gentlemen. I do, before we close out the show, I'm going to have a little bit of a, uh, a, a moment just to... Um, Celebrate a couple of huge milestones for some Liverpool players over the weekend, boys. So, so bear with me. Won't take longer than 30 seconds, but Jordan Henderson celebrated his 200 game as captain of Liverpool. I for one wrote him off as, um, our club had fallen off a, a complete cliff when we made him captain after Steven Gerrard. And I'm glad he has made me eat humble pie. So to see him take on 200 games as a Liverpool captain is a phenomenal achievement. Sadio Mane scoring 100 goals for Liverpool. Another amazing achievement by him. And Virgil van Dijk playing his 100 Premier League game for Liverpool as well. Um, so just wanted to shout that out and uh, give, give props where it's due. So thank you for joining us on another episode of What the Football Podcast. It's been awesome having you in our episode four with uh, myself, Conway T, as your host. And of course, Rudds and Wade as the co-hosts. We've brought nothing but excitement to the show. We hope for you. Um, you can catch us live on all our handles, including Apple uh, Podcast as well as Podbean. Um, you can find us on Facebook as well, where we will all our videos will be posted. But until next week, we thank you for your time, and we hope you enjoyed another episode of What the Football Podcast. <laughs>